Matthew chapter 13 this morning for our study of Scripture and a small portion uh, for the first time in a couple of weeks. We have a small portion to examine this morning, but not small or insignificant in its truth and in its impact on our thinking and our lives ultimately. We are in Matthew 13, which is the kingdom parable chapter of Matthew. Um, We have already studied two parables in their details, the parable of the soils in verses 1 through 9, and the parable of the wheat and the weeds in verses 24 through 30. Both of those parables came with the added benefit of having Jesus set time aside with the disciples to interpret them for the disciples, to tell them, this is what I was trying to say. And that's particularly helpful to us because it sets a grid for us today. Because today, Jesus doesn't do that with the disciples and he doesn't do it for us. We come to these parables with what is here and it is our job as students of the word with the spirit guiding us as we study uh, to take them carefully and to examine them and to understand them appropriately in their context as the spirit gave them. There is but one meaning to the scriptures, and it'll be our goal this morning to unpack that meaning from two parables given to us in Matthew chapter 13, verses 31 through 35. Because we're moving into uninterpreted parables, uh, Jesus will not show up today and say, this is what it means. It's important for us to be committed all the more to a careful study method when it comes to the parables. Uh, We use this early on as we talked about the parables. We don't want to make the parables walk on all fours. Every detail does not have a corresponding truth in mind. Parables are not allegories. Parables are extended similes. They are real, true-to-life stories that are used to present in picture form a central truth. And that's what happened in the parable of the soils. You remember that Jesus was presenting to the disciples and to the multitude on the shore as he stands in the boat and the people are on the shoreline. He presents to them the reality that in the kingdom, which before had not been revealed, in the kingdom there would be both belief, false belief, and unbelief. All would exist within the kingdom present until the end of the age. But all would exist. He went on in the parable of the weeds and the wheat to explain through a true-to-life story of a man who sowed a field of wheat and had an enemy sow weeds in his field that though there is unbelief and though there is false profession, it will not always be so. And though it exists now, there will be a day of judgment when the, the two will be divided. Wheat and weeds will be divided. There is a coming day where either wheat will be gathered to the barn, that is, true sons of the kingdom will be gathered to the presence of Christ or weeds will be bundled and thrown into the burning pile which Jesus said clearly reveals the sons of the evil one that is those with unbelieving hearts who at the judgment will be gathered and will be punished for their sin of unbelief and rejection of Jesus Christ. Those two parables have everything to do with the two parables that we're going to study today. So read with me if you would. Pick up in your Bible, Matthew chapter 13, 
verse 31. We're going to read down through verse 35. You can follow along silently as I read it to us out loud. Verse 31. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. All these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. And these are the words of God for us this morning. The reality that was previously unrevealed was that the kingdom present, that is, period of time in between the inauguration of the kingdom, which took place at the baptism of Christ. When Christ began his earthly ministry, his kingdom was established. It was the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's here. It's it's arrived. And yet what was unrevealed in the Old Testament to the Old Testament Jews was that there would be a time period between the inauguration of the kingdom and the consummation or the fulfillment of the kingdom, the culmination of the kingdom. Because obviously we are not living today under the reign of Christ sitting on a throne in Jerusalem with perfect peace and all following his loving leadership. And so the disciples, unaware of what was about to come, are faced with these parables which reveal new information to them. That during this present kingdom that we live in now, during this interlude between the inauguration and the consummation of the kingdom these truths would be present. They've already found out that there would be unbelievers in the present kingdom. They've already found out that there would be weeds and wheat mixed together. But that that would not stop the plan of God in establishing His kingdom. Today, with these two parables, I believe the disciples are confronted with new information about the present kingdom as well. That it would be blown out of proportion to its humble beginnings. The kingdom of heaven present, that is now, will grow to unprecedented growth even in the face of opposition and rejection on all sides. So, with the parable of the soils, we have the parable, or we have the seed that fell along the trail, the birds come and immediately take it away. It's the unbelieving heart never responds in any way to the gospel. It just rejects Christ outright. Many of us were that soil before Christ radically saved us. The gospel was present. It was thrown upon the soil of our hearts. And we had no response to it whatsoever. An outright rejection of the gospel. There would be rocky soil where there would be a quick growth. But it would, it would die out as soon as the sun came up. Because there would be no root system to support it. And so there would be a quick profession of faith a raising of a hand, a praying of a prayer. There'd be some external acceptance of Jesus. But in time, when any trial or persecution came, or when the cares of the world crowded in, it would be gone. Similar to that ground that was thorny and had weeds around it that would choke it out. There are some who would profess faith in Christ, move toward Christ, 
only to be choked out by the cares of this world, only to allow the world system around them to influence them. And there would be no genuine fruit bearing in any of those three circumstances. That was a hard reality for the disciples to hear, that the kingdom of heaven in its present form until Jesus returned would include those who did not bear fruit for his kingdom. Similarly, in the parable of the wheat and the weeds, there would be sons of the enemy, sons of the evil one, present in the presence of, in the midst of, the true sons of the kingdom. With that, with those truths in their minds, these parables come to bear upon them. Jesus says that the kingdom of heaven is going to be blown out of proportion to its beginning. And that would have been a difficult concept for these disciples and followers of Christ on the shoreline to grasp. All of us know what it's like to have something blown out of proportion. Um, None of us like it. Uh, Maybe your marriage doesn't involve this. Uh, I'll just say that ours does by point of reference. All right. Where words occasionally are blown out of proportion. Nobody likes to have someone else, namely their spouse or a friend or an enemy or whoever, take their words and blow them up into something they never intended their words to mean. No one likes their molehill to become a mountain, right? You don't like it and you, you're quick to say it. You're blowing this way out of... Honey, listen, you are blowing this way out of proportion, all right? The fact that I did not send flowers on your birthday is not that big of a deal, Right? Okay, we know what this means. Jesus says the kingdom is going to be blown out of proportion. It's going to be bigger deal than it could have ever been thought it would be with its beginning. That's the picture that he uses in these parables. That must inform the way we understand these parables and we'll take them one at a time quickly and I trust unpack them, be able to glean from them and then we'll make application and be on our way beginning with the parable of the mustard seed. In verse 31, he put the parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It's the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. All right, what is Jesus saying and why is he saying it? Well, first of all, Jesus stays within the egg industry and which is nice for many of you where you can relate easily to the pictures that he's been painting here in the ag industry jesus is addressing a problem that the disciples have with the sowing of the weeds by the enemy and the faulty professions and rejection of the soils in the kingdom present the question that is being asked by the disciples the problem that jesus is confronting is is there any hope for the long-term growth and vitality of his kingdom I mean, come on, there's going to be sons of the enemy mixed in with the sons of the kingdom. There's going to be rejection and there's going to be false professions to the gospel seed. Is there any hope that the kingdom is actually going to survive? I mean, if you're one of the 12 disciples, you're standing there assessing this situation and thinking, I'm a fisherman. I, I have no theological training. I've never been to seminary. I, 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 don't, I didn't go to Bible college. I didn't do anything. I didn't even go to Sunday school. I'm just a guy from Galilee, and here is the Son of God, the Messiah. I'm confident that's who he is, though I waver in that occasionally. I'm confident that's who Jesus is. And he's saying that the kingdom is going to include those who do not believe, those who reject, and those who are 
false professors of faith in Christ? Is there any hope that this is going to survive? That's the problem that's being addressed with these parables. And Jesus answers in the affirmative, yes, the kingdom will survive and it will be blown out of proportion. That's the picture that we have in the parable of the mustard seed. This is a size measurement. It's a ratio parable. Jesus is presenting the smallness at the beginning to the largeness at the end. That's the picture here in the parable of the mustard seed. He says a man went out and planted this grain of mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds. But when it is grown or when it is fully grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree. So the birds of the air come and make nest in its branches. So the problem is, will the kingdom survive? The parable is this guy planting a little seed and it becoming this big tree in his backyard. All right. And it's in his garden. This would be at his private home ranch, if you will. These are his home, his home trees, his home produce opportunities. Jesus, in this parable, very simply says that a man took a seed, planted it in a field. The tiny seed becomes a big tree and so big that even birds come and live in it. Okay? That's the parable. And to those who did not have ears to hear, eyes to see, did not have hearts to grasp the truth of what Jesus was saying, this was just a very simple, mundane story. Something they could totally relate to and totally couldn't get. They could at one point completely understand, okay, that's, that's interesting. I get the story, but I don't get the first line of the story. The kingdom of heaven is like this. What in the world is Jesus talking about? Let me address a couple of things as details of the parable before we jump quickly to the point. Jesus calls the mustard seed the smallest of all seeds. Now this, if you're... If you're engaged with people who know their Bible in any way, who are also antagonistic towards the gospel, you may have already heard this used as a contradiction in Scripture or a faulty point of Scripture. It's often been said that Jesus is discredited scientifically. He's ignorant. He's just a person from Nazareth who doesn't know up from down because he said that the mustard seed is the smallest of all seeds. And everybody knows there were seeds smaller than the mustard seed. So what was Jesus doing? The Bible can't be scientifically trustworthy because it says this was a small seed. Now that's the accusation that's made from this parable. First of all, it's missing every point of the parable. Secondly, it's not valid in the least. Let me give you some answers to that. First of all, the mustard seed that Jesus references here, the common house mustard plant which would have been called a bush not a tree it was a 10 to 12 foot bush was the black mustard black mustard had the smallest mustard seed of the mustard seeds it was the smallest of the mustard seeds that's one answer to the accusation that jesus is clueless when it comes to seeds that are being used for planting the second is probably more 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 uh, bears more weight the, the second would be that the Greek word that's used to translate is the smallest of all the seeds. The word smallest is not the superlative that Jesus used. The word that he used in its context simply means the smaller or tiny. It is not an ultimate smallness, in other words. Jesus could have used that. Greek language has um, 
adequate ways for him to have said the smallest of all seeds. And yet that's how our translators have translated. It's traditionally been translated this way. It simply does not have to mean the smallest of any seed at all. So Jesus here is not to be found scientifically untrustworthy or ignorant. He absolutely knew what he was saying and he said it for his point. His point was the tininess of this seed has everything to do with the kingdom at its starting point. So he used superlative. Would have been a Hebraic way of saying something similar to what we would do in the English vernacular. We would see someone's cell phone and we would say, that's the smallest phone I've ever seen. Really? Do you really mean that? Have you seen every phone? Because there are smaller phones. Can you even be trusted? No, this would be a Hebraic way of saying it's the smallest of all seeds. In other words, it's a tiny seed. The mustard seed's a tiny seed. That's what Jesus is saying. This is not a discrediting factor in the life and ministry of Jesus. And if you're here this morning, and this is the basis of your rejection of the Bible and the gospel of Jesus Christ, this is not cause for such rejection. Now, Christians, this morning, it is critical that you understand, and I can't take the time to do this or unpack this, but the Bible is scientifically trustworthy. If it is not, then it is not trustworthy at all. If God's wisdom and his word cannot be trusted in any of its parts, then it is rendered untrustworthy in its whole. All right? That's just a simple side note. Jesus goes on in the parable to say that the kingdom is like the grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. The small seed becomes larger than any garden plant. This usually in a Palestinian home would have been a tree or the mustard bush would have been a, a tree that was planted outside of their garden on the back side of their property, 10 to 12 foot high, as we've already mentioned. And these were extremely common in Palestine. He could have been pointing at one from the boat and saying a mustard tree like that one. Now, there's a danger that comes when we read this parable because we instantly want to ask, who's the man who sowed the seed? Who's the seed or what's the seed? What's the field? What's the home garden? What are the birds? What do the birds stand for? What are the nests in the birds? What does this parable mean? No, really mean. The answer is, the man is a man. Seed, it's a seed. It's just a mustard seed. And the birds are birds. And the tree is a tree. And the nest in the tree is a nest in the tree. That's all that's going on here because Jesus is painting a true-to-life picture to make a point. And his point is crystal clear. The kingdom of heaven in the present will blow out of proportion to its beginning. What began with Jesus from Nazareth and 12 lowly disciples, 12 ordinary guys, not special people, not extraordinarily, extraordinarily wealthy people or extraordinarily wise people, just your average Joes. And what began that way and then instantly faced uh, rejection by one who committed suicide. The crucifixion of the leader of the pack. A rejection of the under leader, the spokesman for the group, three times by a fire. The scattering of the disciples in the face of persecution. What began with these kind of humble beginnings would expand and grow and the proportion would be all out of ratio. Though the kingdom had a humble beginning, the disciples and their king 
it would grow to unexpected size and it would be unstoppable in its growth. This is the point of the parable of the mustard seed. This is the simple reality that Jesus is painting for the disciples and this is an encouragement to them. The ratio will be all wrong. What began tiny will grow huge. Matthew chapter 16, just a few pages over in your Bible. Matthew chapter 16 Jesus will reiterate this kind of a unstoppable growth in the church. Notice the promise that comes to Peter beginning in verse 17. Jesus answered him. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. That's Peter. Blessed are you for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. What is it revealed? That Jesus is the Christ. He's the very Son of God. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock, that is the confession of Peter's mouth, instead of dealing with the ratio of size, Jesus is dealing with the time span and the means of the expansion of the kingdom. So the disciples are faced with, hey, I'm just, I'm just an ordinary guy. How in the world are we going to stand in the opposition of the enemy who is Satan and the false believers and the unbelievers who reject and the blasphemers like the Jewish leaders? How are we going to stand as a kingdom in the face of such seemingly insurmountable hurdles? Jesus says, don't worry, what is small will be big. And in this parable, he says, what is small will be big with a time span and with a means of accomplishing its growth. He says in this parable, <coughs> dealing with the same, excuse me, with the same problem that he dealt with in verses 31 and 32. He says that the kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was leaven. So with the same problem, but a different angle, Jesus now presents this very simple parable. Now, this is way out of my comfort zone. OK, we're talking about baking here. I could not be further from my experience. In fact, I don't think I've ever baked anything. Um, I've eaten a lot of baked goods, but I have never baked them. My wife is a baker par excellence. She probably could teach this section better, but the scriptures elsewhere forbid that from happening. So here's what I will give you as the explanation. Leaven in this time period, commentators tell me, people who know tell me, was a preserved piece of the dough from the previous week, fermented at some level, which would be kneaded into the new dough that had been made until it had permeated that dough. And in permeating that dough, it would cause the dough to rise. It would go into the oven, no doubt slathered with a little butter on top to get golden brown. And then it would come out and you would have bread for the week. Three measures was a lot of bread. But it wasn't uncommon because they were cooking for their entire family for a longer period of time. It's a parable. It's really simple. The kingdom is like that lady who put the leaven into the lump, kneads it into the lump to get it to go through all of the parts of the new dough, and then it does it. It leavens it, and it causes it to rise. That's the parable. You say, well, that's so simple. Yes, and that's completely blinded from the hearts and the minds and the ears of those who were there who did not believe. Because Jesus was saying something about his kingdom through such a simple kitchen illustration. He went to the home gardener and he said, don't worry, what's small now is going to be huge. I promise you that. And then he went to the kitchen 
and said, what is small and will become huge will do so by permeation and through time. It will take time and it will take the spreading for the growth to happen. Now, before we leave the parable, there is a point of interpretation that has often come up. And we mentioned it. Actually, we talked about this in adult Sunday school this morning. When we read leaven, we are asked, is this leaven good or bad? And some commentators would say this is bad. In fact, this means that unbelief will permeate all of the kingdom. Now, why would we think that the leaven here is in some way a negative element? Well, we would think that way because we're remembering other passages of the Bible. Right? A little leaven leavens the whole lump. Do you remember the context for that? That's very negative. That is, inside of the church, if sin is allowed to go unchecked within the family of God, in the church gathered, if sin goes unchecked, it corrupts everybody. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. 1 Corinthians says this, Galatians chapter 5, verse 9 talks about leaven. The Pharisees are called a leaven. That is a, an influence within their culture that was always negative. And so when we read our scriptures, often we're tempted as Bible students to read into our current context, into our current paragraph, what we know from another paragraph where the same word was used. Clearly, because context is king, when we study the Bible, context is king. It is obvious what Jesus is saying here. Leaven is not evil. He's simply saying that the kingdom will grow. It will expand through permeation and over a period of time. He's using the same picture that is leaven for a different purpose than he did in Luke 12, 1, where he spoke of the Pharisees, 1 Corinthians 5, 7, and 8, where he talked about the church and the permeation of sin if it goes unchecked, and Galatians 5, 9. Okay? Context always, always, always is king in our understanding of our New Testaments. So, what is the point of such a simple parable? What is the point of this lady hiding the little fermented ball of dough that has the yeast in it into her new dough and kneading it in there until it permeates everything? What's the point? The growth of the kingdom will be unstoppable, though it will take time for its effects to be seen. Permeation will be the means of its widespread growth like leaven in a lump of dough. Now think about this, folks. This is not difficult on this side of the cross and this late in the kingdom present to understand. Let me assure you that the disciples on the side of the lake with Jesus in the boat had no ability to conceive that there would be people gathered on the west side of an unknown nation to them in something that they've never heard of, a theater for drama in this context with a roof on it, with padded green seats that fold down, meeting together as a part of the kingdom of heaven. This is way outside of their bounds. How does this happen? This happens over time as the gospel continues to be passed from family to family, from father to child, from neighbor to neighbor, from loved one to loved one, from spouse to spouse. And it happens through the permeation of the gospel bearers into the world around them. The kingdom of heaven is like the lady in the kitchen who puts the leaven into her dough. And as she needs it, it leavens the whole lump. You see the picture? So the point is quite clear to the disciples. Take heart. Be encouraged. The central truth is you can have confidence in the kingdom. 
God is not off of his throne because there's unbelief around you or rejection around you. He has not left his kingdom purposes. Jesus Christ is not wringing his hands in heaven, wondering what will happen. This is what he planned. This is what it would be. And before it was revealed in the Old Testament, or before it was revealed in the New Testament, the disciples had no means of knowing this. And so Jesus used the parable to communicate mysteries, that is, secrets, of his kingdom. We're to be encouraged. We're to be given courage by these two parables. What was small will become beyond belief in its size. The ratio will be all wrong. We are living testimonies of that. Millions of people follow Christ from a mere humble beginnings in Jerusalem. And permeation will be the means of the growth of the kingdom and it will take time. God's people will spread and touch every corner of creation with the gospel. This is the means that God has ordained to accomplish his sovereign end. Now, verses 34 and 35 finish up our section this morning. And Matthew comes back to his Matthew ways. All right. Matthew, even more than he's concerned about us knowing the parable. Don't miss this. Matthew's more concerned about us knowing the one telling the parable. More than he's concerned about the parable itself, more than he's concerned about the details and the central truth and the point of the parable, he's always, always concerned about you knowing the parable teacher. And so he goes again and again and again to the phrase that we find in verse number 34. All these things Jesus said to the crowd in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without parables or without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. Why does Matthew say that? Why does he repeatedly say it? Because Matthew wants you and he wants me to be mindful that even the parables themselves as a group of teachings are fulfillment of promises that could only be fulfilled in the Messiah himself. So Matthew wants you to recognize that even the parables themselves point at Jesus as the Messiah. He's the promised one. He's the fulfillment of all that the Old Testament promised. He's the one who fills out every promise and foreshadowing. Every glimpse of what would be is known in Christ. You can you could spend a lifetime studying the parables, working through the parables, applying the parables to your life, and it would be a fruitful life. But if you miss the teacher of the parables, it would be the greatest waste of a life. Matthew comes back and says, oh, and by the way, he's doing this to fulfill the Old Testament. Psalm chapter 78, verse 2, or the 78th Psalm. The second verse is where he quotes from where Asaph, who is called a prophet, speaks those words that are penned in verse 35. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. Asaph did that in some small sense, but he was prophetic in his doing it because he pointed to the one who would bring all things to light. And that is Jesus Christ, even through the use of parables. So what do we do when we come to our reading, our daily reading and worship in private? Or what do we do when we come to church? 
And Matthew 13, 31 to 35 is the text that we focus on. You say, well, what do you mean? What do we do? Well, certainly, certainly we don't just read it and walk away. Surely this morning we don't merely hear it and walk away. That would be like looking in the mirror in the morning and then not correcting the obvious needs of correction every morning when you look in the mirror. So we've got to ask ourselves, how does this text teach my heart to obey God? What is here that needs to be applied to my walk with Christ? Let me give you a couple considerations. First of all, I believe that this text should stand as an encouragement in the face of rejection of the gospel. Some of you are parents of grown children. And now for decades, they have rejected the gospel. You've watched it go on and on. And at times you're faced with the question, is the kingdom even still in process? Like, is, is Christ really on his throne? Is there any hope? Should I even be praying about this? Maybe you're here this morning and you've been wrapped up recently with our culture, our American situation. You've started to wonder, is it always and only evil or is Christ still on the throne accomplishing his purposes from his heavenly reign? These parables should stand as an encouragement to the followers of Christ that his kingdom purposes are unstoppable. He will not stop until they're finished. He will not come until the tree is at its fullest growth. He will not come until the lump has been leavened in every place. And he's at work doing what he promised to do. The gates of hell are still not prevailing against the kingdom. He is still building his church. Go with the gospel. Go with courage. Go with compassion. Go with the awareness that this is the day of grace. This is the day of salvation. Those children, those loved ones, those neighbors, those co-workers that are unbelieving and rejecting, they still have opportunity to respond in faith to Christ. Go and be encouraged. Your Lord is on his throne. This is exactly what he promised would happen. There are weeds. There are false believers. There are unbelievers and rejectors, but his kingdom purposes are moving on. Be encouraged. Number two, be active. Be active as a part of the growth of the kingdom. Sometimes we pray like, Lord, just build your kingdom. Well, I got to get to work. Uh, I'm going to head out. Glad to pray for the growth of the kingdom today. Um, Lord, use your church. Use your people to further your gospel. So what are we going to have for dinner? Um, we got those friends coming over. Let's be careful how we talk to them. They're a little touchy. We pray or we think. But often it does not equate into activity on our part. When we pray for the kingdom to be furthered through the people of God. We're praying for us to be active in the furtherance of the kingdom through the spread of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So be encouraged. And I believe that this text ought to be applied to us in activity. 
We ought to be able to talk to someone about the gospel and know that this is how God intends for his kingdom to be built through the permeation of his people into their culture. This has been confronted throughout history. Communes, um, cave dwelling monks who decided to take vows of silence, which there, there just cannot be anything further from the kingdom purpose than silence. And by an entire generation of Christians in our culture who have not gone to some commune, who have not gone to a cave, but have just gone ahead and merged and just become a silent part of their culture. Be active. Be a salt and a light. Be a standing testimony for the gospel because this is the means of God accomplishing his sovereign purposes. Number three. From our final paragraph, it seems to me that we ought to be re-consumed with the king of the kingdom. We ought to be reminded by verse 35 that Jesus is fulfilling all that the Old Testament promised. That there is no one else to wait for. There's no one else to look to. There's no one else to trust. There's no one else with the power, the strength, the grace. There's no one else with the kind of love that he has for his people. There is no one else but Christ. He's the fulfillment. He's the promised one. He's the Messiah. So be encouraged in the kingdom work. Be active because your kingdom work is the building of the kingdom. And be consumed with the king of the kingdom who is giving you these parables. This is the word of God for us. Rightly understood, these parables stand as encouragement, as prodding to activity, and as a refocusing on the king who taught such masterpiece parables to us. Father, thank you for these words. We have not done them justice. We have not studied them with the depth that they deserve. But we are grateful that your spirit dwells within us. And even at this superficial level, as we have given our time this morning, he has been active. He guides us in the truth. He is the one who affirms your word. He is the one who brings application and conviction in our lives. May your people be rallied through these parables and the study of them. To courage, to activity, to living with a wartime mentality. To not lose hope, to be faithful with the gospel message. And to do all of that with an eye set on the king. A mind focused on the heavenlies. And the realities of who Jesus is. The promised one from heaven. The very son of God. Who stood in for sinners who believe. Living perfect obedience in their place. Dying and bearing the perfect punishment for their sin. Being resurrected to eternal life. For their eternal life. May we be grasped freshly. Gripped uniquely by the gospel this morning. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.